Ernest, what's up? Look, in the world of personal finance management, finding the right tool is crucial. If you've been relying on Mint to keep your personal finances in check, I got a mix of news for you. Mint is closing down. But here's a silver lining. Monarch Money is stepping up as the go-to financial app and users, including myself, are making the switch with a smile. Before Monarch, juggling my finances felt like navigating a stormy sea. Other apps either lacked features or were too cumbersome. Then came Monarch Money. Its ease of use, powerful features, and sleek design turned financial management from a chore into a breeze. The constant updates, well, that's the cherry on top. But what truly set it apart for me was its collaboration feature. Money matters constrain relationships, but Monarch brings peace to the table. The app's collaboration tools allowed my partner and I to seamlessly manage our finances together. We aligned on our budgets, tracked our cash flow, and even planned our future goals all in one place. Speaking of goals, be it saving for a down payment, your dream vacation, or your children's education, Monarch simplifies it all. It's no wonder the Wall Street Journal hailed it as the best budgeting app. This isn't just an app. It's the next generation of personal finance management, ad-free, intuitive, and always evolving with you in mind. Now look, Monarch isn't just another app. It's the all-in-one solution. From effortlessly importing your data from Mint to customizing your dashboard to your heart's content, Monarch respects your privacy with a strict no-ads, no-data-selling policy. This is financial management as it should be, focused on you. Look, after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Mondays. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Mondays for your extended 30-day free trial. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. All right. Welcome back. Market yes. Mondays is here. Yes. July 17th. Live in the flesh. This is a glorious Monday. Yes, it is. Midway yeah. through summer. I know. It's crazy. It's almost over. <laughs> nah, it's crazy. I was at that conversation this weekend. I'm like, when you work in education, you see like the teens happen in July. It's like, oh, summer's over. Well, time to go back to school. If, you, if you're in Atlanta, it's, a, it's a South. They start they, school in August. Two weeks, right? August first, yeah. Houston too. Yeah. Two weeks, damn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> it's almost over, y'all. That's crazy. It's it's the uh, it's the emoji it's the emoji calendar day too, right? The seventeenth. I don't know about that. What is that? Day. Tell me more. You know, like the little emoji, like if you put a calendar emoji, it, it automatically has a seventeenth. Um, no, nah? all right. What about that? Okay. So know. here we go. We're gonna we're gonna rock it out. We got a, We got a, We got a dope show for you guys. A lot to talk about. For sure, a lot has happened over the course of the last seven days since the last time we have greeted you. Um, but first and foremost, we have to announce that we are going to Ghana. Yes. Um, we yes. talked about this last week. Get your tickets, please, because um, please. 
airfare, hotels. It's a very busy time of the year in Ghana. December 27th is when the show will actually be at the Treehouse. Very, very dope vibe. Outside, by the pool, you're going to get the luxurious vibes mm-hmm. is, is coming to them it's given coming to america coming to africa it's given coming to africa it's given oh shout out to rick ross so it's going <laughs> we're going to be we're going we're going to have vibes man and we plan on interviewing some of the biggest people on the continent when it comes to business we can't say who yet not yet. Not, Not yet. just yet. But you did you did say where it was gonna be at just now. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. don't let that breeze over your head. Um musical yeah. performances, A-list artist, um a bunch dripped out, you know, dressed in the most regal fashions possible. Yes. Um, and we never had no, we might bring some surprises. I'm sure we will bring surprises. And it's gonna be a dope time because we got Afro Future on the 28th and the 29th. Shout out to Abdul. Mm-hmm. We interviewed him. Yep. Um, they got a dope lineup on the musical side. Um, and there's so much stuff going on at the end of the year in Ghana. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we have one. We had a, a crazy call about some of the events that's going to be taking place. Um, as far as not just the diaspora, but like the continent in general, what we can do, invest in, uh, for it's going to be a whole situation. So obviously, we have the. the it feels like we're going to be a kickoff for this whole thing. So the 27th, we kick it off. And then the 28th through the 4th, man, it's going to be a lot of events that we're going to be a part of. It's going to be a vibe, man. So get your tickets. Go to marketmondays.com right now. Link in the bio. Um, Earnyourleash.com. All of the dot-coms. Get your tickets. And um, we will see you in Ghana for the end of the Market Mondays World Tour. Shout out to Alan. Let let me say who will be there. You guys (laughs) know I never say get your tickets. This is one of the ones, if you miss it, you're going Shame to be really you. upset. Shame yes. on you. Like, Billy you really Talk. Wealth, Billy Talk. Another really one. Sure. It's going to be, it's, this is a moment in history. You're going to have sure. to call yourself out for this one. <laughs> <laughs> All pun intended. Invest in yourself. <laughs> Invest in yourself. yourself it's, it's your best investment. We will be announcing um, Chicago tickets soon, too. Chicago, probably next week, we, we can start rolling that out. Um, but wanted to give the Ghana. You know, because obviously that's a, that's a lot for people to travel and all of that. So, but yeah. Chicago, we ain't forget about y'all. We gonna we gonna announce that soon. We coming in October for sure. Um, and what we are doing domestically this week will be no short of legendary. We're headed to Detroit, yes. Michigan. What up, though? Shout out to Ally. Shout out to United Masters, and we will be in Detroit on Saturday, two o'clock, mm-hmm. for a free event with United Masters. Earn your Masters edition. We are coming to Detroit, Michigan. Block party edition. Biggest, biggest in the Who game. We'll be there at the block party. <laughs> block party edition. <laughs> biggest in the game. You know, we bring in Detroit's own um, Hill Harper. I believe he's running for Senate. Yes. Um, Detroit's own Jamel Hill. Yes. Um, Detroit's own HaHa Davis. Yes. Detroit's hey. own Icewater Vezo. Yes. Hey. And of course, we're going to have- Icewear, Icewear. Icewear Vezo, my and of course, we're gonna have a bunch of other surprises. Um, but it's a free event, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. But you must RSVP. Please link in the bio. RSVP. Get there early. Man, I don't think Detroit really like this. Free vibe for free. Like Did we say, is, free. This is something like this is this is like a lineup that we would have at Art Basel or South by Southwest, something like that. So yeah. we just getting started. Detroit, Michigan has always been good to us. So this is our way of just showing love, giving back. 
um, RSVP, click the link in the bio, and make sure that you um you get there early, man. Two o'clock on Saturday. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Spoke to Hill. He's excited. He got a lot of things he want to talk about. He said, yo, I will be in that part of the state. You know, he's running for state seats now, so it's a big thing. And if you've seen any conversation that we had with him, you already know it's going to be legendary, but this was going to be super intentional about what's happening in the state of Michigan, but specifically what's happening in the city of Detroit, which means a lot to our community. So make sure y'all there. And did we say it was free? It's free. It's free. For the culture. <laughs> Just in case. Any, the culture, for the culture, any, yes. Any any announcements? Um, Stock Club call will be on this Wednesday at 9 p.m. Central. Uh, shout out to my brother, William. He was on the last Stock Club call. So in one stock, he's up 306%. Another one up 107%. Um, Red Panda, we are here to get rich. If I made you money, please put yes in chat. Love y'all. Um, get your tickets to Invest Fest, Market Mondays in Ghana. I still can't say who I will be on stage with at InvestFest, but boy, <laughs> assets under management is a different type of <laughs> type of talk. So you know, it's all fun and games. <laughs> Billy, Billy, until Billy, it's not Billy, <laughs> Billy, Billy, and, and thank oh. you to Maverick Carter. He, he's the latest one that has been confirmed at InvestFest. So InvestFest every week we're just getting bigger and bigger. Maverick Carter will be in the building with a, yeah. with a, everybody else in the world. So get your tickets. Tomorrow, last thing I'll say is dope episode of Earn Your Leisure at 1 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Shout out to the bro, Larry. Larry Morrow. Larry, a legend in the Larry. game. Larry Morrow from New Orleans, Louisiana. He has a restaurant empire. Bigger than hospitality empire. Actually. Yes, yes, hospitality. Because he has a nightclub. Yep. He has the, the yeah. brunch spot. He got the Asian fusion spot. So he's he has over, I think, seven, five restaurants in his portfolio. Nightclub. Mm -hmm. Dude is doing a huge, huge, huge level, and um, it's really dope. He talked about him growing from learning from you know the highest levels of people in the game mm -hmm. about on the hospitality side, really scaling it, um, and, and creating systems in place. And what he's been able to do at a, at a very young age is tremendously impressive. If you ever been to New Orleans, he pretty much runs New Orleans. Like <laughs> he has the he has the key to the city, and everything yeah. everything goes through his restaurants and through his his nightclubs. So, um. Larry's one of the ones, man. So yeah. this is a very dope episode. We actually did it in New Orleans at a black-owned bookstore. Mm -hmm. um, super dope. Um, so shout out to them. What's the name of the bookstore again? Man, shout out to them. We'll get the name. I get it. the name. Of but um, it. It, that was during Essence weekend, and um, it was just a very dope, inspiring situation. So check that out tomorrow, one o'clock. Entrepreneur. One of those one of those episodes where you're just going to learn a lot of information, whether you're in the yeah. hospitality industry or not. If you're just an entrepreneur, period, this is an episode that you can't afford to miss. And shout out to Larry. Um, always has shown us love. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Baldwin. Baldwin Book Company, right? Yeah. Baldwin Book Company. Coffee shout and out. Bookstore. Shout out to the Baldwin Coffee and yeah, Bookstore. Baldwin Books, yeah. For sure. New yeah. Orleans, what's up? Yeah. yeah. One of the things about Larry that I love that you guys can attest to, like everywhere, any city you go to, his name and reputation is good. And he also shows like you can be kind and be an amazing entrepreneur. You don't have to be cutthroat. Um, even when we're with him in Houston, like everyone <laughs> yep. lit up just being around him. So I think he goes to show like some of the best business people are the kindest, give the most. So yeah, tune into this episode. I love Larry. He's building a quiet empire. Yeah, Turned it up the, here in Houston every time he's here. So yeah, check this episode and out. The product is incredible. Larry is somebody who's super respected and well-connected. Um, but it also speaks to relationships because part of his story is is the impact that Kenny Burns had on him. So shout out to everybody that checked out Kenny Burns' episode last that week. That was a fire uh, episode. The impact that he's had on Larry. Because Larry, I, you would think that he's much, you hear his name a lot, you would think he's much older. 
he, yeah. he's relatively young in the space uh so yeah man check this one out a lot of a lot of a lot of gems a lot to be learned from somebody that's relatively young in the space but has a position to, to really dominate it so shout out to him let's go i mean since, since you brought it up can i ask real quick what was the biggest the biggest lesson you guys took away from that episode with kenny because I feel like that's going to be one of those underground classics that like more people should tune into. He dropped gems. It was like, was entertaining, but there was a lot of gems he, he dropped, but being there with him, what was the biggest lesson you extracted from the conversation with him? Um, the biggest lesson I think is um, relationships, the value of relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, that's pretty much how he's been able to stay relevant for 30 years, whether you look at, you know, he's with bad, with rough, um, with Rockefeller Color, 20 yeah. years ago to you know now with fawn weaver in the spirits industry 25 years later reinvented himself several different times mm -hmm. club quarantine with um they just actually did, shut down they just him and d nice they just did carnegie hall so he headlines essence fest as the, as the host of essence was the host of a strength of a woman mm -hmm. will be at invest fest oh i forgot to mention breaking news alert by the way kenny burns will be at invest fest <laughs> but uh <laughs> All of this V103 host on the radio station um, had the dope show on Instagram live during the pandemic, had the clothing line with Ryan um, Glover. Oh, yep. yeah. I forgot about that clothing line. Yeah. Ryan, Kenny. They, so it's just like all of these. And you got one right now with his kids. Yeah. All of these different things that he's been able to do is, has all been relationship based. Right. It's all been relationship. And he's real big on that. Like he's the type of person that he'll just call you randomly just mm -hmm. to say like yo what's up i don't want nothing from you like that's the first thing he'll do like yo i, I ain't call i don't want nothing i'm just wanting to say like he'll start the conversation off like i don't want nothing Look, what, what's going on with you good da, da, mm -hmm. da, like you know what i'm saying so he's one of the few yeah. people that actually take the time to do that and i don't even knock anybody that doesn't do that because i know everybody's busy but the, the, you know that just says a lot about somebody that that does take the time to do that that he values relationships he values you know being a good person he values you know really staying solid and it pays off it really does sometimes you know it might sound like um bad guys always win and you screw people over and you always win but ultimately um people that are solid the rail always prevail that's mm -hmm. what i always say short term you might that's you might true. be able to win if you if you're trying to screw somebody over or if you're trying to backstab somebody you're trying to you might be able to win in the short term you might be able to make a lot of money in the short term but long term like like nipsey hustle said it's a marathon Long term, the rail always prevails. So yeah. just be a good person um, and just honor that. So yeah. that's one of the biggest things I, I got just from hanging around him. And then, you know, from him, of course, you know, that's a relationship. We got a relationship with United Masters. Shout out to them. Um, and Dave introduced us to Ryan, to um, Kenny. And Kenny introduced us to, to Dame Dash. And um, obviously, Dame Dash, that's somebody that, you know, has been very fruitful for us. We, we've done a variety of different things. With Dame and Dame's introduced us to a bunch of different people as well. So it's just, you know, it's one person introduced to another person, introduced to another person, and just like a domino effect. So yeah. you never know. You never know who can introduce you to the next person and who can put you in position and who can actually help save your life if if, save if you need your it. Life. So um yeah. be careful how you treat people. Yeah. I, I would even take the word good out of it. I would add great, just just, just a great human being. Um, yeah. On top of everything, Shadi just said, like, he's the, like he's the guy who's on call. He just said, "Yo, bro, I love you." Like when he heard the episode, even though he was part of it, he was like, "Yo, the brotherhood that we share when we like get together outside of cameras is beautiful, but when it comes on screen like it did, it's incredible." Um, yes, and so there. he he's an honorable person, and it was interesting. I was talking to Clark Kent, 
who's his mentor. And he, we were all together. And he was like, you see what Kenny is to y'all? That's what I am to him. And he was mm. like, so this is just a lineage. And like, if you know who Clark Kent is, I mean, he's integral in, in, in Big's career. He's integral in yeah. Jay's career. And so he was like, yo, now y'all got to figure out who y'all going to be uh, Kenny Burns to. And so like, that's that's been a mission we've been bestowed with. But I'm sure we, we up for that. But the other part is the balance. Like we always talk about work-life balance. I don't think anybody has more fun than KB. Like if you I, ever see no, him, I agree. Yeah, he's av- he's living his life up there. And he's yeah. a he's an entertainer. He's a, a curator. I call him the curator of culture. He says he's a lifestyle specialist, but he's a curator of culture. Anytime he's on stage, but if you ever do business, you know the first person you're gonna call is the missus, which is incredible because it's yeah. like yo, the family part of it is like the family's part of the business. The, the kids they have the clothing line together. He makes sure that you know he's at his son's game and he's not missing any of that. So like I watch that part of it too and say like this is an incredible dude. This is an amazing human being. Outside of everything he's done in entertainment and business, just an incredible human being. And he's not afraid to ask for what he wants. <laughs> or the or demand. Fest, he was like, yo, yes, no way y'all doing invest fest in Atlanta. I'm like, KB, you've been on the first year, you were on a panel. The second year you hosted VIP. Like you you've been every single year. And he was like, nah, this is just not possible to do invest fest in Atlanta and not have not have me involved in this. So he's adding me about ask what you want. <laughs> nah, nah, I wouldn't ask. It wasn't ask. It wasn't ask. It so would be nice if it was an ask. Shout out to KB. <laughs> shout out to KB. He will be yeah. at Invest Fest. We could not forget the ambassador of Atlanta. Yes. When doing something in Atlanta, <laughs> it's very, very important. Um, all right. So let's get into this. Let's get into this disclaimer. Yeah, let's do it. Our content is intended to be used and must be used for informational purposes only. It's very important to do your own analysis before making any investment based on your own personal circumstances. You should take independent financial advice from a professional in connection with or independently research and verify any information that you find on our show and wish to rely upon whether for the purpose of making an investment decision or otherwise. Please continue to do your own research. When it's great research, please share it. When you find out from somebody that is worthy of saying that you found it from, Give them credit for it, man. That's how we spread community. That's how we spread love. That's how we grow as a community. Love is love. Continue to do it. All right. So let's get into this first question. Why do you believe they tried to convince the public that long-term investing is boring? When we know that, you know, that's really the, the key to, to join, yeah. to gain wealth. A lot of people have, you know, the mindset of um, the fast buck. They want to trade and they want to just get the, the quick returns. Yeah, I think um, there is an active campaign being put on in our community to get us to think that long-term investing is not fun. It isn't lucrative. So, like, with all these NBA contracts, we were talking about Jalen Brown this past weekend. But, like, if you look at Jerry Jones, the Bus family, Mark Cuban, who's been on Market Monday, tuned into the episode, none of them ever look to sell their positions in their companies. But I think as investors, sometimes we only look to hold – for four or five years or six years, and it's a mistake. Um, the all-time return of Microsoft is 338,000%. Apple is at 90,000%. Um, NVIDIA, they've had a great tear over the last year, top stock of the year. They're up 50,000% since inception. Uh, and Monster Beverage is up 71,000%. So I think, I feel like in investing in our community is the only space where people are told not to hold for a 10-year period. And I don't think you can have generational wealth without holding companies for at least one generation. Um, and I know people will say in the comments, it's hard to hold that long. What do you do if you need money? But it's like, if we aren't holding the best companies for the longest period of time, and if I came to you and said, hey, you potentially could hold 
a stock for 15 years or 20 years and get 15,000%. Realistically, everyone will want to, but it takes a lot of discipline to do so. And I'm noticing in the news cycle, no one ever talks about that. But if you listen to like the shareholders meetings or when we're like at conferences, everyone is, you know, Troy, we had an amazing conversation with somebody I hope we'll be on the show soon. Um, kudos to him and who's he connected to. Like anyone that, that's held Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, AMD for 10, 15, 20 years, they are elated. So I want to have a stronger push to make sure that we tell our audience and everyone who's listening, not stressing the red panda, like hold for 20 or 30 years because then you will be able to get rich beyond belief. So the to play the, the opposite side of the coin for this situation. God's advocate. <laughs> sure. So people will say the odds of investing in, in Microsoft or Apple at the early stages and very, very low percentage of people that have done that. Right. It's hard. Most people you get an Apple now, you're going to still make money, but you're not going to make that type of we might double your money 300 percent over. The, that's, that's still relatively good. But it's like, all right, the, when you look at like you always say invest in index funds, right, because indexes are easier way yeah. as opposed to trying to pick an individual stock with indexes you're gonna probably average around seven ten percent a year yeah which is still which is which is still good but it's like all right if i have three thousand mm-hmm. dollars and i'm compounding seven percent it's not gonna be a drastic change in my situation whereas i i could do a short-term option on a penny stock and turn 3,000 into 30,000 and then I'm going to turn 30,000 into 150,000 then I, that's how that's how people are really thinking though so the community we love so what are, what are you, what's your thoughts on that way of thinking to say okay if you have a lot of money I get it but if I'm trying to maximize a short amount of money I need to take as much risk as possible the lesson that I've always stressed is like to do half your portfolio on indexes. So you have the safety. So you don't have a lot of drawdown and then find the companies that are going to dominate a generation. So even when people say, well, Apple and Microsoft are here, what's the new Apple? I'm like, Tesla's the new Tesla. So like now BMW and Mercedes are coming together and say, Hey, we have to use their charging networks. Um, usually once a company finds a position, and they like own a preeminent position in the mind of a consumer base. They usually hold that for 20 or 30 years. If you go look on average, though, for like the big 20 companies since inception, if you hold for 20 years, like your average eight to nine thousand percent return. In 2003, when the iPod was the hottest thing on Earth, everyone was saying that Apple was going to run out of steam. The same is true of McDonald's. The same is true of Chipotle. Shout the trap. Uh, the same is true of AMD, NVIDIA, Amazon, like any company that is worth its weight in gold. Um, if you do not hold for a long period of time, it's usually a huge mistake. Um, and, and we have to be very honest. And I get we all want to make fast money, but there's no purpose in making fast money if we're then going to spend it on liabilities and dumb shit. Like, so if you... Like uh, <laughs> if you make 7,000% return and then blow it on a girl to take her to the Bahamas and then she leaves you, that isn't the best investment. Like I think we have to find more ways to just stick with a plan. And a lot of this comes to discipline. Um, often the best trade though of all time is to hold for 10 to 20 years. I don't know anybody that goes back 10 years 
who says, damn, I wish I bought more Apple. Like everyone I know that has an iPhone or has invested in the company before, we all wish that we put every dollar and borrowed money at whatever rate to put into Apple and Microsoft and AMD and NVIDIA when they were at these all-time lows. And you're usually going to have 10 or 15 years to be able to maximize these gains as long as they remain an incredibly uh, well-put-together company. Like, even if you look at FANG, although the Magnificent 7 is the new face of FANG, it's really the same company, just reordered. Mm -hmm. So if you're holding since 2008 and 2009 into 2023, 2027, you'll be up 1,100%, 1,400%, depending on, on what you got into. So the answer is to do both. Like, if you're going to trade, trade the same stocks that you invest in long-term, but the indexes are there to, like, hedge doing a down cycle yeah but everyone I, I, can do what they want it's 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 like what you said uh, all the time it's, it's the risk mitigation and yeah. we live in an immediate gratification society right like we want it now we need it now we gotta have it now but when we're talking about 10 to 15 years i'm thinking about the the millions of people who came into the investment world during the pandemic and so that's not that was just three years ago, right? Like, so let's just go back five years, right? Because we're halfway through 2023, almost yep. into 2024. So if we go back five years, think about the returns on these companies that you just said. Five years. This is not a long time. NVIDIA is up 627% in the past five years. Cool. Five. We're not talking 10, 15, 20. The past five years. So in 2018, 2000, 627%. Microsoft is up 224%. Apple is up 303%. Eli Lilly is up 405%. CMG, Chipotle is up 364%. These are percentages. This is not like dollar amount. This is percentages. Yeah. And so it's not even, if we're talking about immediate gratification, in terms of investing, this is very short. <laughs> right? It's also, it's also not a realistic time frame. But, the, but the, the, the Fed let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. It's a short time frame in terms of investing, right? When we have the education behind it. That's why I think it's important now that we've seen the market crash, right? Just I'm just talking to the new investor. I'm talking to the yep. people who got involved in the pandemic. You've seen the market rise, right? You saw it crash. You saw a pullback. You saw what was quote unquote a recession. You're seeing all these things in this very short time frame. Yeah. And had you had, the, and I'm, I'm hoping, right? Because if people are here, they're watching, they're listening. They have the inf information. They have the education around it. They can make sound investments. Can you do options? Yeah, you can do options. Can you trade futures? Yeah, you can trade futures. But these are things that weren't even talked about maybe 10, 15 years ago, but they're mm -hmm. aware of it now. And so the risk mitigation part is like, yeah, you can do those things. Should all your portfolio be in there? No. But when we're talking about long-term, three to five years in investing is very short. And so those type of returns that they're seeing right now, it's a microcosm of what they can see over the long-term period. So when we when we talk about since inception, right, I, like who was around when when, who was investing when NVIDIA had its inception? Who was investing yeah. when Apple had, and my People weren't, but they are here now. And to see these type of returns in a very short term can let you see the long-scale vision of where it can go. But yeah, yeah, for sure. But that five years is not it's not a realistic time frame because that's what is an unprecedented moment in history. What mm -hmm. happened with Corona and then they pumped more money in in 18 months than in the last mm -hmm. 150 years. Um, so... There's a variety of different things that kind of make the last half a, half a decade an outlier because there was a whole decade in the 2000, 2000, 2010, 2000, 2010. stocks actually lost money for the whole entire decade. NASDAQ, mm -hmm. Q, 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 Q was, no, it wasn't, it was down for, Q, Q, Q? for the, okay. from, from the 10 yeah. years. So, and they're flat. 
it's but but why have they convinced us it's better to be a consumer and buy the Apple products and opposed to investing in it at scale? Like, look at all of us that bought Jordans and Nike apparel from the 92 Dream Team through now, but not many of us have shares in the companies, are not at the shareholders meeting. So I agree we are in a different time, but also a good homework assignment will, will be to see, like, when there's no quantitative easing, in the market, what are the average returns that are there versus when we have quantitative easing in the market? So like now, China has finally announced they've had two negative quarters. I don't know if they'll announce they are officially in a recession. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If they are, we would get sick as a result. And I would agree. I've said it before. Like if you take out the, the quantitative easing, we've technically been in a soft recession since 2019. Like the top of the market was at the end of 2018. This is four years of negativity without and that's why even with the way that the fed has been um messing with inflation and the rates there's only maybe seven to 13 stocks that are like doing well in this market out of the s p 500 when everything else in the s p 500 is hovering around like four percent at&t like literally he's just got to a 29 year low low yeah, yeah yeah as a result so i rashad i agree but and one day we're going to have to ha have a con honest conversation about how most things in America is on a house of cards. Um, we can talk about the streaming and, and writer strike and all that, but like they're just fundamentally a lot of things that have to change in the country. But if you do not invest in the market, how are you going to beat inflation? Stocks, owning the business and real estate are the only ways to do so. For sure. Definitely. I like when you play God's advocate, though. It's needed. It's needed. Needed. <laughs> yeah. It's needed. Okay. Yeah. Hit the like button and share. This is what all you crypto enthusiasts want to talk about. The time has come. Yes. XRP. XRP has ruled it's not a security by a judge. Um, and that helped its its price. I think it was up 70% that day when um the ruling came out. So, what does this mean for the future of XRP? for the future of altcoins in a cryptocurrency market. And as for full disclosure, I was invested in XRP in 2017. Um, so I've always believed in XRP. And um, what really first got me to believe in XRP was when I found out that they had so many institutions that were backing them and they had so many corporate partners. Um, it was something that, I think was um, a no-brainer, and they got into some trouble, but uh, they're navigating through it, and uh, they have tremendous backing, um, and it looks like they'll they'll you know see brighter days once mm -hmm. everything is fully cleared up. Um, a lot of people from the beginning were not enthusiastic about XRP. This is what this is funny. Was XRP has such a a strong legion of supporters in the crypto com community because I remember when nobody in the crypto community liked XRP because they said that it yeah. goes against it goes against everything that cryptocurrency is supposed to be. Stands for, it's, yeah. it's centrally backed when you know the whole point of cryptocurrency was to not be centrally backed and to get away from the man and XRP is fully stamped by the man. With with no there's no like hiding that. Like you can they have a board of directors, CEO of Ripple, all of that type of stuff. And um yeah, that was a big thing for the crypto enthusiasts in 2017. So to see 
you know, so many crypto enthusiasts now be diehard XRP fans. It's old. It's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, but once again, it goes back to show how sw how swiftly you can change the narrative. I think this happened once, you know, when they got in trouble. Now they became like the the underdog, and they they going against they fighting against the establishment because the SEC puts so, so much pressure on them. But um, yeah, it's just interesting how public perception could just change, and some people might not even know why they're even supporting XRP. They just support XRP. Need needless to say, I think that um, XRP is is a coin that that has. A bright future but what is this what's the deal with all the situation um so the judge Torres ruled that uh xrp sales on a public cryptocurrency exchange were not offered as securities so they found a way um and, and for a long time like you said it was demonized i remember when we had the episode with hill harper hill said he was invested in it you were incredibly favorable on it um i say that if they won this case the people that are in it should probably hold to ten dollars um, so now you can buy it on Coinbase. I think it's a, it's a great win. I think it'll send the altcoin market shooting up, and it also gives it some validity. Um, and like you said, over time, like the narrative changed, and I think people are getting tired of banks and institutions squashing or throttling opportunities to be able to make money in a currency or project. And they have done a great job of like keeping um, their fan base excited about the potential and they also de deliver it on a victory so as a result the coin uh went up tremendously on the upside i think there's still more upside to go i think originally when we did the episode with hill um i was saying if you can get in at 22 cent it's a good place to get in between <coughs> 22 and 35 is great i wouldn't buy it today at this current price but it goes back to the original conversation we were having if you hold for a long period of time the probability of having a greater gain is there. There's no investment on earth, really. If it's a solid company or solid project, do you make more money in the short term? We don't see, um, you know, even though Michael Jordan exited part of his position in, in the, the Hornets, we don't see owners leaving teams. Like Robert Kraft still owns the Patriots, whether Brady is there or not, whether Gronk is there or not. Um, so for everyone who held XRP and Bitcoin over these last five or 10 years, 15 years, like they've been incredibly excited. And I think if you are a believer in it, you should continue to hold for the next 10 years. Yeah. I, I mean, it was exciting news, definitely for anybody that was invested in XRP. We were part of that, that initial run in 2017 through 2018, learned a lot from it. But mm -hmm. the, the interesting part is what does it speak to, to the large scale crypto environment, right? If, if XRP as a token is, is not a security, does that mean that the rest of tokens are not securities? Um, so that'll be the interesting thing to see going forward now, right? Because now, obviously, the 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 SEC they lost the case, but they'll appeal it. But as they're appealing it, more tokens are going to be saying, "All right, well, if they're not, are we?" So it's an interesting time, right? So that that's part of it. The other part is like there was there was comments in saying like you know we originally posted it and it was like yo it soared to twenty percent. It was like that's not a soaring thing. And I text Shadi, I'm like, wait, people are not looking at 20% as something that's an incredible gain. And then and two hours later, it's up 80%. I'm like, we we really got to reframe our mindset of what yeah. the what percentages really mean. Because if somebody invested in that and made 20% in a day, like you're having an amazing day, right? If it had but I think people was expecting to be up 5X in one day. $5, right. Yeah, they thought it was probably yeah, going to go to $5. Going. No, it, it, it went 20, yeah. it grew 20%. It got up to 80% at its peak. And it's like, all right, well, 
let's see what happens now, right? Because there will be appeals and it'll be a, a, a drawn out thing. But from a regulatory standpoint, it's a it's a win. It's a yeah. win for the crypto industry. It's obviously a win for XRP. Um, but let's see where we're headed with it. My only question is, if it is not a security and neither is Bitcoin, why is Bitcoin not higher? Like I thought by now, Bitcoin would be like at 52,000. And it's not like the institutions are not buying it because now they're they're on a little podcast tour <laughs> speaking of how much they love Bitcoin. Like Larry Fink was openly on uh, CNBC enthusiastic talking about Bitcoin. So like, I don't know if the banks and institutions are suppressing the price so that they can buy more or trying to scare people away from buying it. But I thought at this point, Bitcoin would be like at 52,000, 50, like by 2027, like 2028, maybe at that time it'd be at a hundred thousand. But I think, um, I would have thought Bitcoin would have taken off a lot more as a result of this victory with the XRP. We will see. We'll monitor the situation. situation. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about the FTC loses bid to block Microsoft's Activision deal. Um, What does this mean for Microsoft and their stock? Can I be honest? I'm so over this Activision situation. (laughs) Like you ever have a friend that like they get together with their girl and they break up and they get back together and break up. It's like let for for the regulators like just let this deal go through they've agreed that call of duty will stay on playstation 5 yep um and, and the person uh who is rallying this kudos to her i appreciate you but i think in trying to have fairness you, i think you are not looking at the right deals to block i think this is a win for everyone um mm-hmm. but in terms of the stock i think the investor class it's kind of over it. It's like, especially when you have open AI and chat GPT and Sati is like revealing this plan for the next five years. Will this have an impact? Yes, but it's not as important as pre the partnership with open AI, but it's a story. I'm going to be very honest. I'm over the back and forth of it. Of course, yeah. it definitely help Xbox and that whole gaming ecosystem and get, uh, continues to like have a bigger moat for Microsoft there. But it's one of those stories where like, the fanfare and some of the excitement has been taken out of it because of the back and forth. Ultimately, I think this will go through. Um, but as far as yeah. the stock, it would definitely increase the value of the stock a little bit over, over time. But it just goes to show like the biggest companies are going to invest into the biggest projects to continue to have a bigger moat. And I think Microsoft probably um, it's going to be really interesting to see how they counter what Apple does with the vision pro and then the non-expensive version of vision that's supposed to come out next year um i want to see what they do in that virtual reality mixed reality space with call of duty but this would definitely be a win for them overall but i'm just i'm honestly yeah. over this activision acquisition I, I think you're not the only one that's over it i think the company that you know the ftc had in mind was over it too right so when you think about sony after they announced that they lost the case what happens on sunday morning Sony has a deal with Microsoft to say, hey, we're going to keep this game. <laughs> yeah. That's something that we, you can use on, on our platform as well. But I think the other part is from the standpoint of, yes, Microsoft buys Activision Blizzard. It's a $69 billion deal. Great. The other part is like, if that passes, now let's look at other gaming companies that mm-hmm. could be up for sale. Right. Yeah. And so like the first two that come to mind are EA. Right. So now what happens if Sony decides or Microsoft decides to say, you know what, EA, 
we did this deal with Activision Blizzard. It's worked out successfully. Let's grab up EA, right? And so that obviously, if you're not in the gaming world, that's the mm -hmm. home of Madden, that's the home of FIFA. But then you look at it and say, all right, well, if that works with them, what's to stop us from grabbing Take-Two, where it's the home of 2K and it's the home of the PGA and Bioshock, all these big games. That'd be a better so, acquisition. Yeah. Right, so now it's like it becomes a merger and acquisitions for other gaming companies to now partner with the systems, whether it be Sony or whether it even be Nintendo, if, if they ever decide, like, all right, we're, we're going to... I mean, the Mario franchise has done incredibly well for them, obviously, but... It becomes emergence and acquisitions play for some of these gaming industries where now Microsoft doesn't have to say we have to rely because there was a time and point where it was like, hey, we have to rely on our games. Let's see how far Halo can take us. Yeah. Right. And now it's like we don't even have to do that. We can see what companies are putting out the best products. Activision has Call of Duty. It's a billion dollar game industry. Probably, I think, the number one selling game, if not in the top all five all time. Yeah. Let's grab them and let's add it. And now let's work out a deal with the other gaming franchises to say all right we're going to put this on your platform but there's going to be a, a deal that's structured with it so like that cross play i think i think we just saw that in 2k where it was like yeah. it doesn't matter what system you have now you can do you can play the game because the game is the entity right if i have xbox i should and i have the game that doesn't mean i shouldn't be able to play on playstation because you have it so now that cross play comes into it so now you're looking at online gaming going up you're looking at the pricing to do it going up so there's a business model inside of all that that we got to look at from a large scale and the truth is like if you want to suppress microsoft having a monopoly them allowing like this cross play where you can play on any platform where they're essentially like licensing or getting a licensing mm -hmm. royalty revenue stream from uh sony as a result that's only going to make them more revenue right so i think like the idea was good but it's like you kind of back them to a corner and you found a way for them to actually make more money which was the antithesis of what she was pitching um also to like after the whatsapp acquisition that's why meta couldn't acquire any big companies you kind of back them into quarter into a corner to make threads opposed to like acquiring a twitter or any other social media so there's always a pushback to when people are trying to block some of these deals like people are going to find a work uh, workaround and this is ultimately just going to benefit microsoft even more but i'm I'm yeah. tired of the story. Yeah, because one of those things that, that people forget is that, and you'll see it, right? If if a company acquires another one, you'll see like a Microsoft acquiring Activision Blizzard, you'll see the stock go down a little bit. Well, they're spending $69 billion. The difference with Microsoft is that it's a lot of money. They have verticals that can kind of offset that that price. And we'll probably talk about one of them, especially later when we talk about cybersecurity, or how they're integrating other verticals that can offset yeah. some of this pricing. Other companies don't have those verticals. Right. And we, we saw that with Disney and we'll talk about that. Where are we getting the money? Right. Like if we're known for one thing, where are we getting the money to have some of these acquisitions? And Microsoft yeah. is one of those. And we talked about that. What's the free cash flow look like? That's important because they have yeah. money to go out and do these things and take acquisitions and say, all right, we'll, we'll take a loss. So now, like when you have your the yearly subscription. So if you're an online gamer and your yearly subscription is is ninety nine dollars for the year. Now, what the, what does the subscription look like when you have crossplay? Is it? Mm -hmm. 129 a year so everybody that has it now you get adding more revenue on a product that you already have because you added an additional service by having that acquisition well played by microsoft chess move game set match microsoft to the rescue so jp morgan let's talk about banking stock jp Ooh. morgan reported record revenue last week are you looking to invest in their stock and in any banking sector stocks as a result. 
Um, shout out to everyone at JP Morgan. I appreciate you. We'll be making an announcement soon. Uh, hi, Jamie. I appreciate you. Um, I just I don't personally like the banking sector. It doesn't mean that everyone else should not invest into it. But if you are going to invest in one, JP Morgan clearly is uh, the king of, of the hill in that regard. So um, stronger results as a result um, from the First Republic Bank acquisition, the whole um, small banks, regional banks collapsing. It helped them as a result, like loans and interest rates have went up. So they are making more money off of those loans. Mm -hmm. And you can argue that's not best for the consumer or best for the economy, but for their business, it helped tremendously. So customers are borrowing more. They're having to pay higher rates for the same loans that they were getting two or three years ago. I think I saw a stat like in 2020, if you got a mortgage, you got a $400,000 house, the equivalent now, like you're, you're basically shelling out a million dollars over a 30 year period for the same house because of interest rates. And as a result, um, JP Morgan is going to stock has done incredibly well. Uh, earnings was 4.37 per share adjusted versus four. Um, and the revenue is at 42.4 billion, which everyone thought they were going to come in at 38.9. So they are just making a killing mm -hmm. hand over fist. Um, they have their hand in a bunch of crypto projects as well. So they can secure their future over the next 15 or 20 years as well. They are definitely like the most dominant banking stock. I think Jamie's probably one of the better CEOs in the last 40 years in the banking sector. But I just don't like the banking sector overall. I mean, we can talk about Bank of America essentially doing what Wells Fargo has done and opening up fake accounts. Um, and I was telling Red Panda this, like it's unfortunate that most banks have to do unscrupulous things to make revenue because the business model in itself is broken. And because the interest rates were so low for a long period of time, it was really hard for them to make um, the kind of record revenue that they were in the 2000s and, and late 90s. But I, I don't morally, I just don't like the banking sector and how they mm -hmm. operate overall. This this is a this is a classic case of big bank take little bank. The same okay. thing that the same thing that closed the little banks. And I'm talking about Silicon Valley Bank, Valley, Signature Bank, yeah. First Republic, was the high interest rates, right? Which people, you know, didn't couldn't they couldn't pay back, right? Interest rates were ridiculous. The same reason why J.P. Morgan had a blowout quarter is because those same interest rates are what saved them, right? Mm -hmm. So when people looked at the small bank and said, "This isn't safe. These small banks are collapsing. The regional banks are collapsing. We need to find the safe bet. Safe bet." Big banks, JP yep. Morgan being number one. And in fact, when they acquired SVB, they took their uh, consumer and commercial commercial business and gained almost $3 billion on that merger in a day, in a day. So it's not surprising when we kind of said this, like where are those customers going to go? And we, we gave the date, like, yo, they're going to all turn into Chase Banks. Absolutely. This is how you take on a, bit, a small bank. You just wait, you wait, you wait. And then you acquire, uh, and and the deal was favorable. Even like the the amount of debt that they were able to take on from from SVB, it was favorable for them, and so that that helps as well. But is it fair for the consumer? I don't know. I don't know how how many how many of these mega banks, uh, how many of these regional banks, are going to be able to sustain this, right? So we saw JP Morgan go up. Yeah, we saw JP Morgan go up by sixty seven percent. But I didn't even people weren't even whispering when we saw that Wells Fargo was up fifty seven percent as well year to date. Yeah. And so if you get these these core four or core five just just waiting and waiting and looking at the economy and looking at interest rates and saying, all right, well, 
those customers that you once had, we're going to give them the same interest rate, but we're a safer place to have it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's tough to compete with that. And the best thing they did was um, assure that everyone's accounts would be safe. Because then if not, it would have been a run on the banks. But then also that there is some signaling of safety, like the bigger institution is. And people want to wake up and say, okay, if anything goes wrong, this bank or institution has enough money to weather mm -hmm. any storm. They definitely have that. But also, too, I think it's very interesting that, like, this regional banking crisis happened and they sat on the sidelines proverbially and just let them fall apart and then collected all the assets and then let everything fall apart. It's, it's the way the world works. Like, it's happened in wrestling when Vince McMahon bought WCW for cheap after Eric Bischoff ran it into the ground. The XFL when Vince McMahon, that fell apart, like, the, that's why I always say invest in the top two. Like if you mm -hmm. want the simplest strategy, every decade just invest in the top two in the space and you'll be a lot safer. Everyone put in chat, investing is not hard. Invest in the top two. Invest in the top two. Yeah. Um, yeah. Morgan Stanley estimates that India will account for 20% of Apple's user growth over the next five years. Very mm -hmm. interesting um, report that Morgan Stanley put out. And yeah. uh that's something that is pretty, pretty amazing if you think about it. Um, twenty percent mm -hmm. is not a low number. Small number. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. That's significant. Yeah, Apple. They just they they um have new infrastructure in India, um, and everybody talks about China a lot, um, mm -hmm. and we've talked about the continent of Africa a lot. All, all the countries in Africa, from mm -hmm. Nigeria to Ethiopia to South Africa to Ghana. Um, but not a lot of people talk about India. It is the second most populated country on earth, soon to be the number one most populated country on earth, because India's population is increasing while China's population is actually decreasing. So they're on pace to, to pass China, um, a subcontinent. It's always been a subcontinent of sorts in Asia um, and has been a very interesting place for a long period of time. Of course, they have a caste system where it's hard to rise from poverty, but they do have a large middle class, increasing middle class. They have um, billionaires. They um, have a lot of tech jobs. And a lot of jobs have been outsourced to India, mm -hmm. uh, even on the virtual assistant side. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the English is a, is a benefit. The fact that, you know, speak English um, for American, for sure, companies. Mm -hmm. it's not, you're, you're not going to a place where you, you, you know, have to deal with a language barrier. Um, highly educated, um, low wages for workers. And... Um, it's 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 something that you know, not a lot of people are paying attention to on the global scale. You know, there's been talks of you know having some friction with BRICS and they wanted to get kicked out of that. Uh, but um, India is a is becoming a very interesting player on the global the economic yeah. form for it, sure. It's a it's a huge opportunity um, when we looked at Apple and all of its its verticals when we talk about. Uh, the the iPad. When we talk about the phone, uh, when we talk about wearables, when you know, if you look at that, they're all billion dollar industries, right? 
And so they have an opportunity here. Yes, they've been focusing on China for the past five years, but all for all those reasons you said is why India is in focus. In fact, about three months ago, Tim Cook went there to open up the first store in India. Yeah. They have an opportunity, and, and what Morgan Stanley is saying is that they have an opportunity to have their revenue grow by over $40 billion. And so that's the equivalent of a new product. And so rather than making a new product, take over a new region. New territory. New territory. And so yep. if you look at it like that, right now, once you take over the territory, you can introduce the products. And then now you have a system of like, all right, we have this unlocked. Now let's let's give them a plethora of things. And as we add more, we already know that that's going to add revenue to, to the bottom line. I don't think people are looking at business like that. They're looking at how can I create the product? How can I get it to the masses? They're looking at like, how can yeah. we take over the region? Because we know the product and the brand loyalty is so strong that if we get it here and we do this right, that'll be the equivalent of the amount of money that we're going to make if we put out something new. The interesting part, India is supposed to knock us out of the second position by 2075, and um, they will be the second largest economy. But I, I find it really interesting that in the case of China and India, we destroyed our middle class, outsourced our jobs that could have gone to black and brown kids or college students, sent them to India, built up, built up their middle class or upper middle class, destroyed ours. And as a result, that's why I always say, like, follow what the big money does. When you see they are aggressively going to China and India, it is representation that they think that the total addressable market and their business is no longer here. It's in other countries. And as a result, we're being left behind. Like Rashad said, for it to be 20%, for those of you who are not math geniuses, that's a hell of a lot. And then maybe in 15 years from now, it may be even 35% of the business. That's a hell of a lot of product being generated um, or revenue generated from products being sold over there. And some people would argue this is the issue with like having a multinational global conglomerate of sorts is that you're only focused on the top and bottom line and not focus on what happens to the, the people who are here. But COVID showed it. And with inflation, like they're destroying our middle class while we're building up China's luxury market, India's luxury market to the detriment of us. This is why you have to be invested in the best companies for the longest period of time. Because and if we're going to be super honest, no one in government gives a damn if there is a middle class or if we do well in 10 or 15 years. They don't care. This is the other side of investing that you have to look at. Is like, if you go back 25 years, India's middle class was damn near non-existent in comparison to how it is now. Um, and we are eroding all of our edge as a continent and country, giving a lead to other countries as we choose to expand and want bigger gains um, in this market. But win for Apple, but I'm very uh, conflicted about what it's going to do to our middle class. Yeah, well, we'll see. We will see. But global economics, you must stay abreast of what's happening, not just domestically, but globally. Very important situation. Yeah. Chat GBT. We talk about Chat GBT very, very much. Um, but it's come to right? right? For sure. It's yeah. come under some pressure. Um, so 
It's uh, under investigation by the mm-hmm. Federal Trade Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw an actress, I believe Amanda. No, uh, Sarah Silverman. Sarah Silverman, comedian um, actress. She is she sued ChatGPT for stealing intellectual property. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you start to see lawsuits. So that's what usually happens. It's like all right, at first, it's like the rela- a relationship. You first get in a relationship, and you you're court you're in the courting phase. Mm-hmm. Then you're in the love phase where everything is just a euphoria. We call that the honeymoon phase. Then it starts to get a little, you know, challenging. And then you go to the dysfunction phase. Um, <laughs> really? So, <laughs> so this is, so this, this is at first chat GBT. Everybody loved chat GBT. Mm-hmm. Then it was, you know, rivals, Google coming out with their chat GBT option and, and meta and different people stop sharing information with open AI and different things of that nature. Right. Yeah. Now you're starting to see uproar from the public. Now you're starting to see people challenge him about they're stealing, they're stealing intellectual property. This isn't right. Da, 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 da. Now you got the feds on them. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what's what's the deal? So the, the FTC, uh, the Federal uh, Trade Commission, has said that they have harmed people by publishing false information about them. They've engaged in unfair and deceptive practices relating to risk of harm to consumers, including reputational harm. Um, so people are like, well, what does the Federal Trade Commission have to do with that? So they, they have the authority to police unfair and deceptive business practices that can harm consumers as well as unfair competition. So if you say something wrong about somebody that helps their business or harms their business, this is why they can step in. What does this mean? This is this is the, the penalty of, quote unquote, being a leader in a space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you go out first. And yes, like you said, those phases, people will love it. People will then try to find a false and people will criticize and then then the feds come. Um, and this is what this is what this looks like. It's a classic case of this. And so while that is happening, there are and you better believe there are competitors. Like you said, you mentioned a few. There are some others. And Ian, we had a call about this, but yeah, they're watching this very carefully to say, OK, that's the mistake they made. How do we do it better? They didn't have this. How do we add it? They couldn't provide that. How do we do it? And so. Yeah. We've seen this in social media happen a bunch of times, and we talked about it with Meta. They they let something bubble first. They see the flaws in it, and they say, "How can we make it ours?" I think we're in this phase now with with, with ChatGPT and OpenAI specifically, where they're looking for the flaws. Here come the lawsuits. Mm-hmm. That next phase is competition is coming to say, "All right, let's clean this up. Let's show you how we can do what you have already and make it better." It also goes back to risk to reward ratio. Um, l- let's say that the fine is worth. I don't know, $2 billion. I don't think it will be. But everyone here, would you guys pay a $2 billion fine if hypothetically something can pay you out $100 billion over seven years? Yes. Pay the fine. Pay the <laughs> fine. Um, I, I think, and I feel for Fran Drescher, Sarah Silverman, um, but there's a bigger issue with the writer's strike and the actor's strike. Like, if we want to talk about um, misrepresentation, I think the industry of Hollywood and the movie industry and film industry has done a hell of a worse job at how they treated people as a result. Um, one day we need to have a conversation. I know parks, I brought it up this weekend. is like, do we need to like destroy the way the streaming is done? Because if you looked at the way streaming is done and the royalties or residuals that is paid out, um, there's some actors who are like reporting. They got like an $8 check for like a blockbuster movie. Like we just need a mass overhaul. But as far as like the FCC, suing when chat gpt has an update 
and they update to the newest version, I'm sure a lot of these things will be fixed. Um, like you said, Bard isn't making the same mistakes because it's able to scrape all that data mm-hmm. from Google and Gmail um, and Docs, hypothetically. Um, they'll correct this over time. I don't think it'll be that big of a deal. And plus, I think once they start to niche down and they help the education space a lot more and they are able to be like fan favorites amongst some different consumer industries, they'll be fine. Like, of course, like this, like you said, it's a penalty of leadership. This is what comes with having a hot product because if only 50,000 people were using chat GPT, there would be no lawsuit. The fact that it came on and came out a few months ago and kind of swept the world by storm is the reason why. But I don't think this will have a, a negative impact on OpenAI as a company or Microsoft as a result. Yeah. Like like Microsoft in the 2000s beat Monopoly charges. They they are well versed at navigating this legal system. The FTC is doing a job that they're supposed to do, but Microsoft's legal team and OpenAI's legal team is A1. They'll be able to dance around this real easy. All right. All right. Elon Musk back in the news as he is every day. Um, so, uh, in an effort to slow down the growth of threads from Meta, Elon Musk announces the startup of XAI, and Twitter decided to share revenue with creators. Um, so, threads growth has slowed down. It's been reported that they had a 20% decline in user. Um, from users actually using the platform mm-hmm. from last yep. week, I believe it was last week, Thursday, from Wednesday of last week, something like that. Some way, some day last week, they had a decline in users. Threads has also um, reached a hundred million user mark faster than any other social media app ever in history. Ever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, on the heels of that, they announced Twitter announced that they will start sharing revenue with creators. They had somebody who said that they made $79,000, something like that, from Twitter. Uh, and then he also announces XAI, which is mm-hmm. more of a chat GBT competitor. Um, I think every all these companies are going to start coming out with chat GBT competitors. Yeah. Uh, you have mm-hmm. so. Yeah. So let's talk about this Twitter thing first because it's interesting. I think that uh, it's obviously a reply to to you know kind of kill the buzz and kill the noise with threads mm-hmm. and what better way to pay people that'll get them back on your side mm-hmm. they're making money they're not making money on meta they're not making money on well meta did roll out the subscriptions i don't know if anybody's been making money on that yet but um they're not making money on threads so now you're saying okay social media platforms how they make their money is through advertisement data, different things in Asia. So I was like, all right, if advertisers are going to pay us and we're making billions of dollars from this, then we're going to give a portion to the people that actually make it possible. What should have happened from the beginning? Because that's just common sense. Yes. If if you're using a platform and the platform is making money, then it would be in the interest of the platform to actually incentivize the users. The problem is that they never had to do that because there was no competition in the space. When nobody does it, then you don't really have too many alternatives. Shout out to fan base. I believe that they actually um, have uh, commissions in place and uh, Isaac Hayes will be at InvestFest also to talk about it. Um, but this, is, this wasn't done by any of the major 
huge platforms. So Twitter now jumping in this and saying that they're going to pay people, I think is long overdue first and foremost. And it still probably wouldn't be anywhere what they actually should be getting paid. Mm -hmm. But it will be interesting to see if they actually do go full, full, if they actually go full um, throttle on this Mm -hmm. and um, it becomes a regular thing and people start to make money from it. How does that change the landscape for all of the other social media apps, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Snapchat, whether it's, you know, um, Meta. And they've all they've all teetered with the idea of paying creators and they they will all kind of have some some level of compensation. That's in, but nobody has ever really tremendously, you know, made off on these platforms financially it's usually just you know usually to promote different things and they make money on the back end so now if you can start to have people that's actually making millions of dollars a year just from instagram um that will be an interesting um change in the business model of social media platforms going forward so yeah what's what's your thoughts on this um i think it's a good idea but i don't like the time frame in which it was done I think it was incredibly reactive. Like, mm-hmm. I know he had talked about XAI. For those of you who don't know, Elon was one of the people who initially provided funding to open AI. He got pushed out. Mm-hmm. I don't understand his frustration there. So great make a company. But I think as a result of Mark Zuckerberg being in the gym and beating the company down, um, he then says, okay, now we're going to pay our users on Twitter and now I'm going to launch this company. To me, it's too reactive because it feels like, well, you should have been paying us before, but then you were robbing us by not doing so. Mm-hmm. So like all of a sudden, it's kind of like when a guy messes up and then he goes out of his way to like do the right thing now. <laughs> Sometimes it's just cheaper to keep her like this kid. But but as a result, I think um, if Twitter would have paid early on, Sometimes you just have to give the irresistible offer up front opposed to waiting to there being competition because if you make something irresistible from the very beginning, there is no competition. I think if people would have been making 100 grand, 200 grand off of the platform already, there wouldn't have been room for threads. Yeah. Yeah. So You're right. <laughs> um, so uh, I hate any CEO that like it kind of reminds me of the BlackBerry situation when iPhone came and took the, all the market share from them. And then they tried to make a touch screen two years later to compete against the iPhone. It's too late. You should have innovated the head of the competition. And this is why I always say, like, um, everyone's your competition. I don't know if you guys have seen now. Ritz Carlton is now kind of getting into the cruise line business, but they're doing like super luxury yachts. So for those who don't want to go on Royal Caribbean, you cannot go through Ritz-Carlton and be on like a super luxury experience. I keep saying if The Rock, Jason Momoa, and Cardi get together and do an investment show, I don't know what my reply is going to be. You have to think of that before she knocks on your door and throws off your day how she did Offset when she went and creeped off. If Cardi cheated on allegedly, right? Because <laughs> I don't want the Tasha K beef. Please, Cardi, I love please, you. I know it's part of the but if she comes up and then teaches options and how to invest, what are you going to do? You have to think of how disaster can show up at your doorstep before it gets there. And I don't like reactive Elon. Normally, Elon is a person that applies the pressure. He's been back into a corner. And I'll see yeah. you don't want that smoke in that ring with Zuckerberg either. 
Yeah, this was this was that uh baby come back, <laughs> like right. You you watch somebody, you watch a platform go a hundred million. You see the press that is getting. You know you have a product that's not competing with it. How do we? How can we get people back? Well, let, let's try to pay them. Um, and it's interesting because it's, it's the, they're using the CPM model, which if you're a content creator and YouTube, you, you're very familiar with. It. If you're in a podcast yeah. space, you're very familiar with. It. It's the course per million, course per thousand. But even it's crazy because when I saw what they were trying to pay, it made me think of Jay. And shout out to Jay to book a hole in the Brooklyn Museum. Incredible That's sidebar. But um, it was that, yo, they pay you a fraction of what you're supposed to get. And so the, the way that Twitter is looking at it is they're going to pay you per impressions. And so I think the, the equivalent is like every uh, a million or not even. Yeah, for every million, you're getting like less than a tenth of a cent. Right. So if you did like... uh. Eight, you get like eight hundred eight dollars and fifty two cents per million impressions. What? <laughs> yeah, so eight dollars and fifty two cents per per uh, a million impressions. So I, even the, the the some of the, the tweets that they were putting out with people who received money, I looked at it. It was like he made he had eight hundred and forty million impressions in the month of February through through July, right? So we're talking about yeah. almost six months. Eight hundred and forty million impressions, and the check was for twenty two thousand. So that cost permit, it's like, we know that model because in this space, we've seen it. They're giving you a fraction. So like you said, if they're giving that to you now for over a five-month period, what are they making from these advertisers on a monthly, on a weekly, on a semi-annual basis? Well, it's, it's the music business. This is the whole thing of, can I get a close-up for this? Mike. Let yeah, me just say the last thing. I'm going to lock you in. I'm going to lock you in. Then I got to follow up after that. Yeah. The, the, the other part is... And we had this in our chat. It was like, well, what do you think the response is going to be from, from these other platforms? And I was like, yo, it's the same strategy. Let them go out ahead. <laughs> let them make the mistakes. Yep. Let them make flaws. And let they us come cool. in and figure out how to improve and enhance it and make it better. It's the same strategy now. Like when you jump out and you say, all right, we're going to pay people. There's going to be some setbacks. All right, well, what happens now when Thread says we're going to pay him double what you said that you now you're like really bad with reels. Now what you gonna do? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, it's crazy because we always look at the music industry as like, oh, these artists they signed that they signed their rights away, they gave away their masters, or you know, these different executives they took advantage of these artists. And I would never do that if I was in a position like if I had an opportunity, I would never do that. I would always control my masters. You you signed your masters away for free. If you're on really? social media, you, you you agreed to let them use your content, repurpose your content, however they feel free. You agreed to promote their platform. You agreed to put content. You're actually making content for them, which they're selling ads against, and you're not getting paid anything. And you've never questioned it one time. So it's like um, anything that's free, you, you're the product. So you're that's like an artist going into the studio for 10 hours a day, and making an album every single week and never receiving one royalty because that's what we're doing. You think you're just making a post, you're making content that they're selling ads against. If there's no platform and nobody's making content, then there's no revenue model for them to make money from. Never thought about it like that. Like you're literally working for them and you've yep. never got paid for it. And you don't own your content. You gave the rights away as soon as you signed up for it. And you want to complain about Diddy. <laughs> like, like I'm saying, you want to complain about Diddy? Shout out to shout out to Diddy, man! Y'all got 360 deals for free, and 
On you're IG. okay with that every single every single day. You're okay with that, and I've never heard one person complain. Yeah. Think about it. So it's like now you know they 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 tricked you to think that this is all fun and games, or they do it like you know you call you a, a content creator or influencer or just a regular person. You got three hundred followers, five hundred followers. It doesn't matter. You're still making content. You are the product. They are the business. You're working for them for free. You don't have any control of what they do. You you can't control who you reach. You don't control your content, and you're got and you're not getting paid. Take it. And then think, then think about after it. after they take your content and package it up, they make you pay for your content to get more exposure. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, you can't even you can't even decide who you reach. Like it's not even up to you to say, okay, um, at least I can I can touch you know this person in Middle America, or I want to go to Alaska, so I want to. No, they're gonna tell you through an algorithm. This is this is who you should this is who you should be reaching, and this is the amount of people that should be seeing your post, and there's nothing you can do about it. And just shut up, be happy with it, and go on your merry way. Keep creating. Keep creating. <laughs> <laughs> yo, put you back in the booth. They put you back in the booth. Man, yo, yo. Man, you will get paid. Like and I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this with parts. Keep, I'm like, if, keep on. if Spotify does this, Netflix isn't paying out. The writers are under strike. If any other person did this, this would be called a Ponzi scheme. Like at some point, we need to say all streaming companies are illicit in a Ponzi-like activity, but if you agree to the terms and conditions, you are allowing yourself to be finessed. Yeah. Ten times. Yeah. It's cool when it's they cool do when it. It's cool when they do it. <laughs> it's cool when they do it. Um, but yeah, I think that that's just, you know... Important message. Yeah, nobody thinks about it. Like that's an important message. It's easy to criticize. Everybody on social media is an expert. That's what I realized. Put a post up That's about, a fact. about Mike Rasheed. Mike Rasheed was saying that the most important exercise was burpees. And all these fitness experts came in. Well, technically, burpees is not the most important exercise. Technically, um, if you do it incorrectly, you can tear um cartilage. Shut up and do the burpee. <laughs> How about that? How about that? Because because if because if it was 20 burpees. Because if we posted you and you said it. Now it's no problem. It's only a problem yeah, because you didn't be say wrong. it. It's only a problem because you didn't. You're not on the show. It's only a problem because you're not on the platform. It's only a problem because you're not at investors. Hold on, hold on. Let, me, the, let if, me let me lock you in. No, nah, I mean it's not because you really yeah, lock him in. You, you know, lock him in. I'm locking this. No, it's just a fact. You are speaking if, some real things. If if you were featured saying this, if you were highlighted, then it's then no, everything is correct. As soon as somebody else, you try to nitpick and find every flaw possible and go to the the Harvard review data on it in, in 1974 where one person had a complaint about it. Like, yo, stop, man. Stop. Is it, is it okay? Let's say burpees is the number two most important exercise. Is that going to change the world? Is that something that's harmful? Are you going to, are you going to, is that something that is not beneficial to like, okay, well, oh, burpees, like, you you acting like this is something that is actually gonna poison the whole entire world and cause the the destruction of America, but once again, everybody's an expert on social media. So since everybody's an expert on social media and everybody always complains about, oh, this person got a bad deal and Robert Smith sold this company for four billion, what is it really worth? Well, what are you really worth? Because you're working all day for free for a company that is the tenth richest company in the history of the world and you haven't gotten a dollar and you've never complained, you never criticized, you never wrote in a letter. Um, never been to the fucking office. <laughs> don't even own a stock. <laughs> Come on, man.
Think about it. I digress. Ah. This is what you want. It's fine. That was a good Mine. One. You want. Just keep creating, like please. Spice. You like yeah. <laughs> please. spice. We need you. Don't leave us. That's a real shut up and dribble. Just keep making content. <laughs> We're not going to pay you. We're shut not going to talk to you. Like, okay, cool. Shout out to John. Keep posting. What's wrong with day? And they on, don't man. tell you when they change. They don't even tell you when they change the algorithm. It's just oh, figure video, it out. Video's not working no more. Damn. Now I gotta do um slideshows. Oh, now slides, I, yeah. now I gotta do character. Now I gotta do pictures. Like and now it just got you on a rabbit hole. And it's just like and everybody does it. But mm-hmm. at least we're aware of it. You're just doing it. Just thinking. Oh, it's just fun and games. Like they run in the most ruthless business operations of all time. They think about it. Is like it they change, they're changing this every three months, and they're making you stress out mm-hmm. about then this post isn't getting engagement. Mm-hmm. What do I have to do? Should I start tap dancing? Should I just start <laughs> being comedian? These dudes turn into comedians. They're not even like a lot of like. Look at the hip hop scene, right? Most hip hop journalists turn into comedians. They're not even reporting hip hop news no more. They just they oh they going back and forth with each other. It's like damn, I got I got to get my views. Yeah, and I, 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 you say three months. Sometimes it's, it's like they, they to make twelve hundred dollars. They're yeah. doing pranks. They're doing all kinds of nonsense because yeah. it's like, well, the algorithm. Yeah, the algorithm. The AI is real, you man. So you sell your son for for the algorithm. Blame it on the algorithm. No, no disrespect to anybody that's actually posting something with their kids. I really have somebody in mind. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm just saying. Nah, no disrespect. No, nah, I'm just nah, saying. No it's real talk. Nah, um, but social so- media. This social media thing is one of the most ruthless business operations monopoly ever. ever. And nobody like they're making so much money. It's a dangerous space. It's a dangerous space, bro. We had this conversation five years ago, and I was saying like, Yo, this is a dangerous space. And oh. you got the girl on TikTok going crazy, making two hundred grand a month, uh, acting like she's a nine. Uh, uh, NPC and, and eating donuts on screen on TikTok. Like this is like it goes to show. Like Yo, if, if we showed our gra- grandparents some of the things that we do now, they'd be like, "What the hell are you doing?" But it goes to show the middle class has been eroded. The job market is being eroded. Like you think people want to like jump off of a building into tables for seven hundred? <laughs> we call it ninety thousand views. We call it the creator economy. <laughs> but no, who's making money? The creator, greatest Ponzi ever. But if yo, you Carlos, for it, Carlos said something that was extremely insightful. He was saying, like in YouTube video, when they kept getting strikes and they they wasn't getting paid on YouTube, and he was like, "All right, well, YouTube obviously is making money. So if nobody's making money, who's making money? Mm-hmm. If nobody's making money, who's making money? Like if you're saying like we can't pay you because of this, we can't we do this, we can't do this. Well, yeah. you're making money, so." If the creators, there's no social media app without without the creators and people that's making content. If no, if no, if these people aren't making money, who's making money? Right. So hey, if you ban my video because of the the content might be vulgar or whatever it is, right? But three million people are watching it still, and ads are still going on it. Well, where's that going? Because it's not going to us. It's not going to my AdSense. So who's it going to? While um, the actors and writers are striking. I want to give credit. Joe and Parks is talking about it. Podcasts and musicians should go on strike too at the same time. But, but guess was, what? If there Most was ever people any unity. If there was ever any unity, unity. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody dropped the Chappelle joint in there. Maybe we can accomplish something in this world. Yep. But what do we know? 
What do we know? Invest we have- in Google. Invest in, in TikTok if you can in the future. If CCP ever lets up on their regime, for those of you who are big on Meta, invest in Meta. Um, but this is digital slavery. Yeah. That's it's digital slavery. Work. Start dancing. Uh, strike? I don't know. How long would you think people could survive? Three days. <laughs> Giving them that long. <laughs> Most people don't even kiss their significant other when they wake up before they go on IG. What Kanye say? Instagram got your bit. It does. No. That's it. Kanye said a lot of crazy shit, but Instagram got your bit. For real. Like most girls check IG for they check on them. That's all it would take is three days. If every let's because everybody's not, let's say 30% of Instagram users, not even just podcasters, Instagram users. If 30 if there was an Instagram strike and 30% on Instagram users stopped using the app until we got paid. Uh, so say we're not we're not using the app anymore until we start getting paid. Mm-hmm. Three days is all it takes. That's over hey. 300 million people. Mm-hmm. If we ever had some unity. Maybe we can get yeah. compensated. Yeah. But no. You want to know about Kiki Palmer's boyfriend. So you have to go on Spiritual World. <laughs> I do not know that man. You have to go on Shade Room <laughs> and this is how you get your, your information and this is how you're amused and this is what you're addicted to. So yeah, it's all fun and games. Until I should sing it to your girl. Well, there you have it. <laughs> But we're gonna we're gonna better. we have an esteemed guest that we're gonna bring on a uh, yes. special segment. But before that, let's talk about Eli Lilly quickly if we can. So Eli Lilly buys um obesity uh startup, startup. yeah uh, for two billion dollars. Uh what's the deal with this acquisition? Yeah, well um, played. This well played. Yeah, well played. Um they plan to buy a privately held obesity drug maker uh Versantis for one point nine billion. Um, as the drug market is getting hot on losing weight, and it's very interesting, like as our food quality goes down, um, we didn't get a chance to talk about it, but like aspartame is deemed a carcinogen and, um, creator and driver of cancer. Food quality has went down. People are becoming more obese because of the food sourcing and all the additives in it. Eli Lilly is quiet. They're not on Twitter or on threads, going back and forth with other CEOs. They're just quietly executing. So now they're getting into the obesity market mm-hmm. as well. Um, I think it was well played uh, as Ozempic uh, is doing incredibly well. Yeah. They are going to put their foot into into the race. Just like you said, everyone's going to have to make their own chat GPT. Everyone in the healthcare space is going to have to create a weight loss drug that could work. There's been many attempts, but I think this may be the decade where we see a few of them that work incredibly well. Yeah. Um, Great acquisition by Eli Lilly. The stock is one of the best, I think, in the last 10, 15 years. And as a result, over the next five years, they'll go even higher. Yeah, it's the same business strategy that we, we've been speaking about pretty much the, the entire show, right? Let, let's yeah. see somebody that creates something. So Zempic had the, the, the OBC drug, and it, it seems to be very effective. And they yeah. watched that and said, all right, well, if it's working for them, then we should be, and probably at the same time simultaneously, and – they're looking at it like, all right, well, we have to have our own. And so yep. rather than create their own, let's look at the market. The stock, is, like we said, over the past five years has gone up over 400%, right? Let's see if they have uh, capital to acquire a company that has something that's working. Right? Yeah. Well, we looked. they looked at the landscape, found one, $2 billion. It just sounds like an acquisition that we can put into our portfolio. 
kind of helped the stock tremendously. Like I said, it, it it's definitely in our, our top five. Ian, I think you have it in your top three. Um, yeah. I mean, it only improves it. And this is one of those things. Look at the landscape. See if you can create. If not, can you acquire? Mm-hmm. And, and people always ask if, if I couldn't invest in, Eli Lilly would be my number one pick if Apple and Microsoft were not there. Yeah. Hold for the long term. Yes, sir, Ski. All right. Now we are going to go into the final stretch of Market Mondays, but we're going to close this show with a surprise. We're bringing on an esteemed guest yes. to um, talk about some very important topics that are in the news currently. Mm-hmm. And um, as opposed to us just speaking about things, we thought it would be cool to really get some some experts to come in on different segments. Maybe not the whole entire show, but different segments. Um, correspondence of sorts. So uh, this is going to be one of those ones. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to it. All right. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're back. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. we have Congressman Jamal Bowman. Yes. He is the representative of the 16th District of New York. Yep. Which is actually our home. Um, <laughs> Northern Westchester, Southern Westchester, and Northern Bronx, right? Yes, right? sir. Yes. Northern, Northern Bronx and Southern Westchester. Yeah. Um, yes. He is currently um, serving as our representative at the United States uh, House of Representatives and is a very good friend of the program. We've had him uh, on EYL yes. and he will also be at InvestFest. Indeed he will. Talking about reparations. Yes. Um, so thought it would be a good idea to have you on and talk about a few different things that's happening uh, on, on the political side. And you, what better person to, to give some insight on it than somebody who actually works in the inside of this whole situation. Yeah, he, I, he, he's multifaceted in the fact that obviously he, he works uh, as a Senate senator, but he also, uh, as a congressman, but he also comes from a background in education. We can't forget that part, right? Yeah. Because the first time we met, uh, you were Principal Bowman, and I was a, a, a teacher that was just amazed by what I was seeing about having cultural rele- relevancy represented in a building and I was inspired. And I tell you that every time. And I want to just keep reminding you, like, that helped change my mind about how education should look for our kids. So thank you for that. So, all right. Let's get into this. Let's do it. You and your constituents, I want to know the inside information of what does this really mean? Um, President Biden, he announced um, the student loan relief or student loan forgiveness. Um, and a lot of people still aren't really sure about what it really means, because they know the federal, the um, Supreme Court rejected a larger plan mm-hmm. uh, last week, but they were still able to actually get something through. And people want to know, am I eligible? What does this mean for me personally? Uh, is this going to affect me? So what's what's your thoughts and what, what happened with this uh, student loan relief situation? So based on the most recent announcement, if you were on an income uh, based repayment plan and you've been paying your student loans off for the last 20 years or 25 years, depending upon the plan, 
your student loans are about to be forgiven um, in the next month outright, done, forgiven. Um, that's going to impact 804, 803,000 Americans across the country. We're still gathering the numbers in terms of how many uh, it impacts uh, in our district. We are still also seeking clarity to find out if you were making payments for 20 years, but not part of an income-based repayment plan, uh, are you going to be eligible? I believe the short answer is yes to that, uh, but I still need to get clarity on that. So that's what that recent announcement meant, which is obviously um, a huge, huge deal based on the Supreme Court shooting down uh, the president's more ambitious plan, which would have you know, had a tremendous impact on many more borrowers and the Supreme Court's decision there was BS. And I will get into that, hopefully, because yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that as well. Yeah, I mean, let's go there, right? Because the original plan was for 37 million people to be impacted by uh, student loan forgiveness. I was sitting here waiting. Uh, we, we know that the, the payment uh, are going to start payments are going to start being reenacted in the next couple of months. And so people are looking at that from an economical standpoint, like, well, we haven't paid in three years. Now this is another thing that we have to add to our, you know, our payments uh, on our, our monthly basis. So what happened there? 37 million, yes, 800,000 people are going to be impacted by the recent ruling, but there's that big gap of almost 36 million people who are looking at it like, what happened? We had an opportunity to help our economy by relieving some debt and having people have disposable income that they could potentially invest in real estate and other things. Yeah. First of all, I want to say we should give President Biden credit for continuing to pause over these last few years. Mm -hmm. I know we go after Biden for a lot of issues, as we should, but definitely give him credit because this pause, it was started under the Trump administration, but Biden continued it for an additional couple of years. So that put more money in people's pocket uh, every, every month for the last couple of years. So let's give him credit for that. So this case, um, first of all, there's something called the HEROES Act that Congress passed in 2003, which in response to a national emergency, gives the Secretary of Education latitude and the power to waive or forgive uh, student loans or provide some sort of redress uh, so that we are not harming borrowers during a national emergency. This was initially, uh, something like this was initially done uh, during the Gulf War uh, where people who were uh, off to war and the nation was in the middle of a war, uh, you know, we didn't want to, you know, hurt borrowers at that time. So Congress passed legislation to give the Secretary of Education the opportunity to waive payments or reduce payments during that time. It was repeated after 9-11. We all remember what was going on during 9-11. After that, that led to the war in Afghanistan and the Iraq war. There was a reprieve uh, that occurred during that time. But in 2003, Congress said, you know what? We need a piece of legislation that gives the secretary the power to respond to any national emergency. So Congress passed the HEROES Act. So under the, the, uh, the jurisdiction of the HEROES Act, the secretary of education has the power and the president has the power to waive or cancel student debt. The Supreme Court uh, argued against this based on an argument that came from a party that isn't even harmed by the cancellation of the debt. And that's a key point here. In order for you to argue a case uh, in front of the Supreme Court, you have to be able to express harm 
a party, you have to be a party that was harmed by something in order to argue the case. Uh, the state of Michigan, uh, no, Missouri, excuse me, mm -hmm. argued on behalf of a third party uh, in this case, ex uh, expressing harm based on the president uh, forgiving this debt, which is complete nonsense. The third party that they argued for, Mohila is the name of the company, had no, were, was not even involved in a lawsuit at all. And the Supreme Court shouldn't have heard the case. They still heard the case anyway, heard the case, heard the arguments, decided in favor of Mohila, a third party who wasn't even involved in the case, and shot down the president's cancellation of 10000 for individuals making up to 150000 and 20000 for lower-income people. So a huge blow, but the president is pursuing another avenue called the Higher Education Act, which he's saying is going to take longer, but is another possibility. What I think he should do, let me just close on this, and sorry for the long answer, I think he should just cancel the 10000 20000 outright and force the Supreme Court to figure out a way to force people to pay back into the program after the president cancels it. But this president is an institutionalist, so he's not used to doing things that way. The state of emergency, I think, provides him the opportunity to do that. Um, for the constituents uh, that you represent and for the audience here, since there has been some talk about student uh, loans being an asset that is traded kind of like mortgage-backed securities in 2007 and 2008, um, will we ever see 20 million, 30 million loans just eradicated? Or is it, will it be like a tiered system of maybe like a maximum of a million or two million? Because when I talk to people, the sentiment is, well, they're just trying to do this to get votes and it's never going to pass. Is there any perfect utopian situation where 20 million, 30 million people may get relief from having these loans off their back? Yes, there is. But our democracy is what we make it. I, I need to emphasize that point. The previous president, Donald Trump, chose three Supreme Court justices. Because he had the ability to do that, because he was elected, now the Supreme Court is ultra conservative. So you are going to see the Supreme Court siding less with policies that we all care about, like canceling mm. student debt, like affirmative action, like voting rights. So I cannot emphasize enough how important elections are because the president decides who goes into the Supreme Court. Now, taking a step back, it's not just about the Supreme Court. It's about who we elect, who we elect into Congress and who we elect into the Senate yeah. because if you have the wrong people in those seats, which we currently have right now, then we are not going to write or pass any legislation that is going to do what you're talking about. Everyone knows the student loan uh, program is corrupt. It's, it's predatory. Mm -hmm. um, and it has been designed in a way that harms borrowers more than it helps them. Because, listen, many of us know we were raised to go to college, right? You go on to college, go on to college, go to college. Many of us come from families where we don't know what it takes to go to college. All of a sudden, you get to college, you can't afford it. They dangle this loan in front of you. You think, all right, I'll take out a loan. I'm going to get a job anyway with this degree, so I'm going to be good. I'll pay it back. You take out the loan. You don't really understand the interest rates. You don't get the job that you expected. You're unemployed or you're underemployed. And then when you try to call these, these – uh, 
these third-party companies that work with the Department of Education for redress, lower payments, income-based yeah. repayments. They they pushed people to forbearance without even like giving them the background of what other options there were for them. And as a result, collected all this additional money. And that's why the president's recent decision uh, is so important because it, it responds to that redress. 803,000 borrowers, you've been paying for 20 years, completely forgiven. That's, I think, the number is 39 billion in total. Not what we wanted, but a good start. So, all right, talk about the Supreme Court. Let's talk about the affirmative action ruling. This is something that we, we covered a few weeks ago, and you mentioned it. Um, so, how will this, how will that ruling, in your opinion, um, what's the potential impacts on the education and employment? opportunities for, for every every American. And why, why is that ruling so important? So for a couple of reasons. So the, the, the most prestigious institutions in our country no longer have to take race into account as it relates to applicants coming into their schools. And because of that, those institutions are going to continue to be, they're already super white, but they're going to continue to be even more disproportionately white. So what that does, these prestigious institutions are the beacons of power in our country, not just from an education perspective, but from an economic and political perspective. So we are going to have brilliant Black and Latino students across the country who will no longer have access to these institutions because of this recent ruling. So they will no longer have access to the power centers of America. We have a bill. My office has a bill that we're reintroducing this week that says, okay, you want to end affirmative action? You need to end legacy admissions at these institutions as well. Mm -hmm. Because legacy admissions disproportionately benefit white people, white men in particular. 70% of those who, who benefit from legacy admissions are white people, white wealthy people. But the Supreme Court didn't deal with that because the Supreme Court is illegitimate because it takes gifts from billionaire donors who support legacy admissions in the higher education space. Oh, you, so, so when you say the Supreme Court is Ill illegitimate, what is interesting? Expound on that. There is no way to hold the Supreme Court accountable for unethical behavior. There's also no way to hold the Supreme Court accountable when it takes on a case that isn't within its jurisdiction, like the student loan case, because the case does not, the person bringing the case is not harmed by the lawsuit in which they're pursuing. There's no way for us as Congress to hold the Supreme Court accountable. So when it takes gifts from billionaire donors, it has now become a political body where it's supposed to be a body, it's supposed to be a body that acts uh, outside of the political arena. Mm -hmm. It's also not supposed to be a, a party that, a body that makes policy, which is what it has done with not just this recent student loan decision, but also an EPA decision. Let me also um, mention what, you, what, it, what it means for the economics and, and, the, and jobs in our communities. There were many companies that were moving more towards uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and minority hiring, and understanding the benefits of that. 
now those companies do not have to do that anymore, right? And, and, and will not even look in that direction. So they will be least likely to hire African-American Latinos in certain companies. The last thing I'll say about this is this. This is why our own self-determination and building our own collective wealth and our own sovereignty matters so much. Because what we're going to see now, hopefully, is a rise in, 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 in kids going to HBCUs. Um, but what we also, what I also want to see, and, and I'll talk a little bit more about this, is black uh, enterprise growing exponentially across this country to hire more black people and develop more workforce development programs into black institutions to help us build historic black wealth. And there's a political aspect to that as well. Can I just follow one follow-up question? So what kind of gift do the Supreme Court get? You said like they, they get gifts from- Yes, so, so, so Clarence Thomas um, had a billionaire pay his child's tuition into a private school. Clarence Thomas took trips on yachts with Republican billionaire donors. This is documented. This is fact. There were other gifts given to, I believe, Kavanaugh and Roberts as well that have been documented. And so once the Supreme Court begins to take gifts, political gifts, they have lost their legitimacy as a court. And add on top of that, some of the decisions they, they've, they've made recently supersede what Congress has, has codified into law. When you, when, you dis, when you take away the Secretary of Education and the President's ability to cancel student loans as per federal law that was passed in 2003, the HEROES Act, um, then you are now making policy. If you're making policy, you are no longer legitimate as a court. And that's why there are so many in this country calling for Supreme Court reform. And again, the only way to get that is for every person to engage in our political process, vote, 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 so that we can hold people accountable and change the court and Congress. That's a lot. There's a lot to unpack there, right? When we talk about job creation and we talk about the influx of potential students now going to HBCUs, one of the things that we have to combat is the technology that's going to be at those HBCUs. So I want to know your thoughts on, because we've seen the reports about what AI is going to do to the job economy, not just here domestically, but from a global standpoint. So what are your thoughts on AI and technology, specifically for our community, um, but even at a collegiate level, what that looks like for students of color? Well, I'm incredibly concerned um, because 80% of HBCUs are broadband deserts. So the broadband in their colleges don't work the same as the broadband in Harvard and the mostly white institutions. That's number one. Number two, um, you, you all are from Greenberg, um, you know, in this district, we also have Scarsdale and Rye and very, very wealthy communities. Those wealthy communities, in terms of their school curriculums, they've been way ahead of the game in comparison to certain schools in places like Greenberg, Mount Vernon, the Bronx, because of historic underfunding that's also a part of policy and federal law uh, that's attributed to the redlining of our communities. So, in many ways, we are already behind the eight ball in terms of funding and curriculum and resources. And now AI, if we don't like step up and do something right now, we will be even further behind the eight ball. So I'm very concerned about that. Um, government 
is not ready for this right now. Um, there are 10 fellows in Congress who work in congressional offices focusing on the issue of AI, 10. There are 535 members of Congress. So that shows you just how, how behind we are. I'm lucky we got one of those fellows. So we are, you all know, I think you know, I sit on the Science, Space, and Tech Committee as well. So not just education and workforce. So we are hyper-focused on AI, and we're going to be coming out with legislation to deal with the issue of AI because it's not just the replacement of workers in certain fields. That That is an issue, and that will happen. But we need to make sure that certain workers are protected like writers uh, in the Writers Guild who are striking right now, and AI is one of the conversations as it relates to uh, you know, their, their new contract. But it's also about using AI, understanding AI, using it as a tool. We don't even know what's on the back end of AI in terms of its development and what biases are a part of that. So we gotta get in on the ground level to understand how this technology works, so we could build our own technology and then build the wealth that comes with that. So we use it as a tool. Yes, absolutely understanding it. But we also have to create the new technology in order to build the wealth we need to build. And the last thing, we still don't have comprehensive legislation when it comes to technology, social media, safety, security, privacy. None of that. We don't have that at a federal level because Zuckerberg and others have been lobbying to stay away from that because a lot of their wealth is built on their advertising dollars that they get because there's no legislation. So it's mad work to do there. And that's why we're pushing a lot of STEM education into the K-12 space and doing a lot of workforce outside the K-12 space so that people are aware of um, you know, what's there and, and can get in on the ground floor in terms of jobs and entrepreneurship opportunities. I'm not stating that it's right for I don't think Clarence should be taking vacations or being on yachts with billionaires. But what's the difference between lobbying and, and them uh, receiving an inducement or gifts to put a policy in place? I mean, they're not an elected body. Right. So the Supreme Court, they're unelected. They're appointed. They're appointed by uh, the president who's elected and the Supreme Court's role is to interpret the Constitution and hear arguments and cases in, in, in situations where the Constitution may have been violated. That is all they are there for. They are part of a system of checks and balances. Uh, the lobbying, especially when we're talking about big money lobbying, that moves us away from a democracy and moves us into a space of a dictatorship and fascism. So there was another Supreme Court case decided a few years back called Citizens United that determined uh, that corporations are people and money is free speech. And when you have that sort of dynamic in play, when it comes to our democracy, think about it. How many black billionaires are there? If you combine them, yeah. Jeff Bezos alone got way more money than them, <laughs> like way more. So when you talk about the history of wealth inequality, if we allow wealth to, to dictate politics through lobbying, then those who have always had wealth and power will continue to have wealth and power. And the wealth and power was built on the backs of enslaved Africans. And so that's why we got to get big money out of politics overall, but particularly as it relates to the Supreme Court. I mean, look at the last 
few years decisions alone. I mean, they, they, they made a decision that makes it easier to carry concealed weapons in states like New York. And we know the data shows that the more concealed carry permits you have, the more accidents happen related to gun violence and the more gun deaths you have overall. So um, big money in politics is a, is a major, major issue. The good thing is when we talk about black wealth, it has grown a lot recently. And if it is consolidated and codified, we can exercise real power uh, in politics from a congressional level all the way down to local school boards. Yeah, the Supreme Court is extremely disturbing because, like you said, that's they're supposed to be above politics. So you can they're supposed yeah. to be not political. And, and just real, political. couple real quick points on that: we can't hold them accountable ethically, so we need ethics reform on the Supreme Court. They have lifetime appointments, mm-hmm. so like whoever Trump appointed three people, they'll be there for the rest of their lives. That that's unacceptable. And then look at the size of the Supreme Court: nine members. They've been nine members since 1869. Mm-hmm. The country was 30 million people there. Country's 300 million people now, 330 million people. They don't even have the capacity to hear cases in the way they need to hear cases. And so um, there needs to be complete uh, Supreme Court reform, just like there needs to be complete uh, democracy reform with the filibuster and electoral college and many other things. I mean, we're a more diverse, dynamic country yeah. than we've ever been. And that's why we got to change a lot of these things. Can, can I just have a, a follow up just to that, and then I'm, I'm trying to take his question because I wonder if there was legislation that was put in place behind that, right? When we look at all of our elected officials, they all have terms, whether it's a mayor, it's the governor, it's a congressman, it's the president. It's talking about design outside of the Supreme Court. Congressman, so, congressman don't have terms, though. You well, we, we got to run every two years. Well, two I'm years. saying, but just no limit. Right, you, but they could. They Joe Biden was a congressman for four. What I'm saying, is they, they have to yeah. be reelected every two yeah, years, and that's yeah. it. And that's they it. They could run for anything. Supreme yeah, they Court could lose their job, right? Like the only way. Yeah. The only way the Supreme Court can lose their job is if if they pass yes. away. So, yeah. what type of support do you think would be behind legislation like that that puts terms on Supreme Court and increasing the number? A lot, like so. There's a huge disconnect between the people and members of Congress. Members of Congress are trying to maintain the status quo. And the status quo is corporate power, white wealthy male power, evangelical power, and the power of many uh, lobbies like fossil fuels and uh, pharmaceuticals and other lobbies. They want to maintain that power. The people want democracy reform and they want justice. The people can't understand why every time there's, there's a mass shooting with assault rifles and then we in Congress don't do anything about that. The people are like, what the, what the hell is going on? They become disenchanted. Congress ain't doing shit. So I'm going to I'm going to stay home and not vote. And what I've been saying everywhere I go, I'm going to give you just a couple quick examples. Florida, Texas, Nebraska, Missouri, Mississippi, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Um, who am I missing? few other states, big Senate races this year. The biggest issue in those states, they're all Republican states, is voter turnout. Yeah. If we increase turnout in those states. And suppression. Yeah. And suppression, right? Both. If we can increase turnout in those states, those states go from red to blue. And again, Democrats ain't perfect. But if we had a supermajority in the Senate, you would see George Floyd justice in policing. You would see something on voting rights. You will see something on reparations. You will see something on so many issues because now uh, Senate majority leaders don't have no excuse, right? 
Now, the excuse now is, oh, we don't got the numbers. We got the filibuster. We don't want to go around the filibuster. If we increase the numbers, now we got to go around the filibuster. But that don't happen if we don't increase voter turnout. And that's why, like, next year is 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 huge for this. It's huge. So, yeah, one of my last questions is um, I'm extremely excited about you coming to InvestFest and it's one of the most exciting panels that I'm looking forward to seeing. On reparations, you, we have um, the foremost uh, civil rights attorney in America, Benjamin Crump, who will be joining that panel as well, and a bunch of other esteemed um, people. You are in a position to introduce law, um, to vote on law when it comes to reparations. Is this something that we will ever see in America? And what are your thoughts on the current state of the reparation movement in America. So, yes, we will if we take it. I mean, America, this country is what we make it. You know what I'm saying? If you look historically from the abolitionist movement to the suffrage movement to the civil rights movement to the LGBTQ movement, historically, there were movements that forced Congress to do things differently. We need a new movement right now. It started as the Black Lives Matter movement. It came under attack. It simmered down a bit, but I still think that energy is out there and people are ready to mobilize towards something. So, yes, we we will see that. We've had movement recently. You know, H.R. 40 is a bill uh, written to uh, encourage, to, to ask the president to form a commission to study the need for reparations. It's been introduced for 40 years in a row. Just last term was the first time it was marked up in committee and voted out of committee and was ready for a vote on the House floor. We did not vote on it on the House floor. Speaker Pelosi was the leader. I don't understand why we didn't. It was an unacceptable move, in my opinion, especially when we knew we, were, we, we, knew we were losing uh, the House. One of the excuses I get all the time why we don't vote on certain things is because we don't want to make certain members in challenging districts take tough votes. Because if they take tough votes, then they're more likely to be defeated in their districts. I disagree with that because if those members did more to engage people of color, black people and progressives in their districts, then they would be more likely to win those districts. Some that's not the case, but a lot of them that that is the case. And so you know, Cory Bush, Sister Cory Bush uh, introduced a resolution this year uh, calling for reparations that goes further than H.R. 40. It pretty much identifies 15 trillion as the number, gives the research why that is the number, and then calls for legislation to support the resolution uh, to go to committee and, and come to the floor for a vote and then pass. But none of this happens. Nothing happens unless we get the right people in the office and the wrong people out. So th this is why grassroots organizing over the next year is going to be a priority for me. I'm going to talk about this at InvestFest because, listen, I get it. I know how people feel about politics. But we can't build economic power without also building political power. Yeah. Because the people who are building economic power, they simultaneously build political power. And that's why... When it comes to certain pieces of legislation, I, I I get pressure from people who don't give a damn about black people to vote yeah. for certain legislation that got nothing to do with black people. And whenever I go against them, they attack me. They got millions on the side ready to run somebody against me 
They're on social media. They're on mainstream media. They have a political infrastructure that's powerful. We as black people have to build this infrastructure right now. Every black person in this country, if you gave $10 a month, $5 a month to, to, to building political power for black people in this country, we could raise millions a month and we could, we could dictate elections across the country. The only way to get reparations, the only way to get police reform, the only way to get fully funded schools is to build that political power because the wealth by itself will not save us. It's not. We need the political power as well. You make a great point. I think we, we have the same plight of like uh, normally in investing in politics. A lot of us check out. Um, for those who don't have hope, can you give like two quick solutions that you think would be incredibly effective? So if people are excited by what they heard you say today, what are two things, two action items you can give them today that will like allow them to see change in maybe three months, six months or to a year? Go to BowmanForCongress.com. And just learn about the stuff that we've been doing on the campaign side of our work. Um, and you can contribute there. If you choose to contribute there, that'll go directly to me, full disclosure. But my work is about organizing people across the country. So bombingforcongress.com give you a lot of information to plug in. There's, a, there's many groups out there, so I don't want to pick one over another. Um, I guess I will say one. And this group is pretty, pretty strong. You can go to Working Families Party and through the Working Families Party, go down the rabbit hole a bit of some of the work they're doing and the other organizations they're connected with. And I want to make another point. Um, and thank you for that question. You know, we've been we've been through so much, man, you know, in our lives and throughout our history in this country. We want instant gratification when it comes to certain things and, and, and we deserve it. Absolutely, we need that. But this, 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 this power building thing—we gonna have to do it for the rest of our lives. Yeah. So we can't just check in on one election, check out the next election. We can't just vote for president and and not vote for a member of Congress. We can't vote for the mayor and not vote for people at the county. Because I'll tell you right now, all the money that comes from the federal government—it goes to the state, it goes to the county, it goes to the city. If you ain't voting for those people, you don't know who those people are, you're not holding them accountable, then that money goes all over the place. And so this is about us building our power. And so you got to you gotta get involved and stay involved. You can start with our website, start with the Working Families Party. But there's a ton, and I, and I would love to just share information with y'all that you can share with the people um, because we, this is, we got we to gotta be in the game at this level because if we're not – we just gonna keep complaining, 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 and like not really. I ran for office because I was tired of like just like, yo, I gotta do something, and I won it. I'm the first black person in history to be in this seat. Mm. So, so like it, it th things are possible. We and last thing I'll say is we won that race because we tripled voter turnout, and we tripled turnout amongst people of color. That's how we won. You could do that in any district, in any race, in any state. Same thing. But we got to organize to do it. I look forward to, to doing that with you all. Representative Bowman, um, thank you for joining us. Yes, and, sir. Um, look forward to seeing you at InvestFest. And, um, you know, obviously you are, you know, a po politician. So I have to ask you the question before we leave. Yes. Um, 
are there aspirations of becoming the mayor of New York City or the governor of New York State or the senator of New York or even the president? Are, are those in, are any of those four on your on your vision board? Um, I want to be where I can have the most impact. Very political answer. I love the answer. Come on. Not surprised by the answer. Yeah. Come on. People usually say, people say, absolutely not. I'm, you know, I'm focused on my reelection, blah, 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 which is true. I am focused on my reelection, which is next year. Absolutely. But like, this thing is about impact, yo. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and if enough people's like, yo, let's do this, then we're going to go do it. So I, I you know, who knows? <laughs> well, I, I look oh, forward boy. to seeing you here. Uh, I know we 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 scheduling something to to drive around the town of Greenberg. You know that's our home. Yes, um, yes. And help helping you out uh, any way we can. Um, so again, I appreciate you wholeheartedly. Right there, there's not many guys that that I look at and say, "Wow, that was inspirational from an educational standpoint, and now from a political standpoint as well." So, my my sincere gratitude to you, my brother. All right. Thank Appreciate you. Y'all. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much. You. Love y'all. Be well. See you soon. Yes, sir. Right. So, yes, Peace. All right. That was insightful. It's an investment into the political process as well. That's it. Very important. Very important. Yeah. yeah. Wealth and politics go hand in hand. This is true. Make your political connections because you're going to need them. You're going to need them at some point in time. And this is local. For sure. Yeah. Local and national. And national, yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, very interesting about Clarence Thomas having his son's uh, school's tuition paid for a million. I got to do my research on that. that. Yeah. Stephen A. dropped some knowledge on Clarence Thomas. I don't know about, why yeah, that would be it came about, out about affirmative, uh, the affirmative action. How you know he was a, a Yale student got into Yale because of affirmative action. Yeah, well, I, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Beneficial I know that, of it, of but course. I just wasn't that. That was kind of crazy to have somebody pay for your son's tuition. That's crazy. But I'm sure he doesn't need help financially. So that's interesting. How did he, how, that's interesting. But are we surprised? Like, this is how America is run. The the most, the wealthiest normally pay for concessions that most people can't get. Like, lobbying is the same thing. It's just given a a business term to make it legal, if you will. Um, even when he brought up Black Lives, Black Lives Matter, like, Black Lives Matter, of course, it was exposed that Soros funded that. Like, this is how the country's always been ran. The funny part is that like now this is finally being revealed in 22 and 23 and some people will argue like in 2015 but this has been done historically unfortunately. Indeed. There you have it. Well, he will be at InvestFest. Yes. Talking about reparations in detail. That's a very important panel. Um, man, there's going to be a lot of people at InvestFest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know Benjamin Crump was going to be there. I was like, what? Benjamin Crump will be at Had a great investment. conversation with him. That is a fact. Yeah. Had a great conversation Pulling with him. all the stops. <laughs> the only yeah. question is, who, who's left? Um, I know yeah. a few people that y'all should say, but hey, I'm in the Texas. I was like, wait, what? The oh, real man. question is, will you be there? Will and what will be life be like if you're not? How many times yes. do I miss it? Uh, but no, nah, um, that was that was very insightful conversation for sure. And something yeah. that I want to do more when Market Mondays bring different people in to give different perspectives on different topics, whether it's technology, whether it's political, whether it's banking sector, whatever. Um, you know, it's, it's good to get uh, different um, points of views from something, especially when somebody's like in it on a day to day basis and they're actually, you know, doing this specifically for, for a living. So that's always beneficial for sure. Um, okay.
Yeah. Um, been real, been very educational episode of Market Mondays. As always, get your tickets to Ghana, ladies and gentlemen, December 27th. Yes. We will be at Treehouse in Accra. We are bringing the New Year's in in Ghana. So you can come. Holiday season is going to be a vibe. Perfect weather. Music is a whole thing. So we'll see you. Plan for 2024 as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. Get your mind right. See you in West Africa. Um, for sure. And um, get your tickets to Invest Fest. That's a no brainer. And uh, Detroit, Michigan. Yes. What up, though? We will be it's in Saturday. Detroit. Uh, ice where Vezo will be joining mm-hmm. us. Hill Harper, talking about politics. <laughs> He's running for governor, right? He's running for Senate. He's running for Senate, Senate yep. of, of the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Hill Harper needs no introduction from, you know, Hollywood megastar to Harvard grad, Harvard grad, crypto th- crypto enthusiast. Um, now he's oh. running for for one of the most powerful positions in in the, in the country. There's only there's only two senators in each state, so very prestigious um, opportunity to represent your state. So Senator Hill Harper. Um, that's what he would like to be known as in the future. So he's running for Senate. So we're going to talk to him about that. We're also going to talk to Haha Davis, uh, a legend in the game from Detroit, that's Michigan. We got, a, we got a bunch of other surprises. Um, so Detroit, um, this is a dope opportunity for free. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's for entrepreneurs, for investors, for music. Obviously, United Masters, they're going to have their music side. They're some dope artists coming. Dope independent artist. Um, it's just a way just to kind of just, you know, give some energy to the city, give some love to the city. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be one of them ones, man. So this so, is a block party, y'all. See y'all there, man. It's inside too, just yeah, in case you know, if, if the rain, if it rains, whatever. So it's not, it's indoor, outdoor. It's not really no excuse for you not to be there. All you got to do is RSVP. That's it. Literally, that's all you got to do. <laughs> that's it. RSVP and meet us there. My boy Larry Marlowe tomorrow. It's going to be fire. Dope episode. Restaurant Empire. Nightlife Empire. Hospitality Empire. Um, shout out to New Orleans, man, for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, we gotta we we be remiss if we didn't mention the big earnings that are coming up this week. Uh, yes. I know people are sitting on their seats waiting uh, for Wednesday, but let's just start with Tuesday. We got uh, the banks reporting, uh, Bank of America. Uh, we got Charles Schwab, uh, PNC. If you have a brokerage account and you looked at your your uh, TD Ameritrade, that has changed over. E Trade will be changing over as well. Yep. So just make sure that you pay attention to that. Um, so they'll be reporting, and then Wednesday we got the big boys. We got Tesla reporting. Uh, we got Netflix. Oh, one of, yeah, oh baby, one of my favorites. AS uh, MLB reporting. Goldman Sachs as well. And then mm-hmm. Thursday, uh, TSM Taiwan Semis will be uh, reporting on Thursday. And then Friday we got American Express. Uh, so those are just some noble ones. Make sure that I'm, yeah. I'm sure I didn't have to tell people that Tesla was reporting on Wednesday. But just in case you didn't know, they Tesla do Wednesday. well. Yeah, and they yeah. they put the, the cyber truck. They, did you see it? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, they got it on the road. So yeah, if you could tweet and, and quit fighting with Zuckerberg and put that damn truck out, Tesla. Yeah. But the situation, so if, if you watched what has happened since he's acquired Twitter and to the increase in the stock of Tesla over that period of time, it's like the $44 billion, yes, it was overpriced, but the way that Tesla stock is moving, it's... Uh, it's helping. It's helping. It's helping yeah. that that purchase. I, I don't think yeah. that has anything to do with Twitter's. No, no. I'm just saying from because he's the owner of both. So it's like, all right. Well, I lost. He lost on that, right? As of now, 
but the increase of the stock of Tesla since that point is offsetting the loss. It's offsetting the loss a little bit, a lot. Not even a little bit. No, he's the he's on his way to be a trillionaire. So it's, that's a far. That's, I mean, that's pretty far. It's really not that far off. He's he's at a hundred and eighty reportedly, and uh, SpaceX has a hundred fifty billion dollar valuation. So that gets you to three before I start, like, before Starlink I, is, is going to have a. Yeah, I'm not saying he can't get there. I'm just saying it's yeah. that's a that's a long way. He's on his way. He's on his way for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um. All right. And I would like to bring some Republicans on here too. I don't want to lean any one way politically. I know we have brought a few Democrats on. Of course, Jamal Bowman. We also had Stacey Abrams on mm -hmm. at one point. Um, I'm not sure if we had any other politicians on, but it would be good to have somebody from the other side of the aisle. On the Republican Party to come on. Mike Pence, come on down. I think I hit a head with a water balloon. I'm like, ooh, boy, you lucky. For those of you who don't know, you can't violate like former presidents and vice presidents. And be careful. I saw the little kid hit him in the head with a water balloon. I'm like, boy, they, they'll make sure your student loans never get erased and none of your personal debt. Chill. Get his name. Get his social. Chill. That's a fact. Yeah. That's a fact. So, well, yeah, you know, you got to get different points of view. So, if you know any good Republicans that you think might be beneficial, they don't have to be black either. They could be white yeah. or Hispanic. doesn't matter. Um, it would be interesting to get a perspective from the Republican side. We'll have the Republican rebuke to, to the this side of the story. My right first now, question would be Clarence Thomas. What was the vibes like on that yacht that you went on when they paid for that? Clarence for tuition. Thomas has not spoken in 30 years. <laughs> Guy's a legend. Um, happy birthday to Tabidi. We got yes. happy birthday to Tabidi for happy sure. To Beatty. Who will be the, at InvestFest. The boy. Yes. <laughs> Shout out to Tabidi, man. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. All yes. right. What, what, well, what news? Uh, Apple has a patent for a rollable iPhone. Rollable? Yeah. So you'll be able to like flip the phone out, like actually like roll it out. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. It's like very thin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that. I've seen that. So. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you guys. Tune in tomorrow. Amazing. And uh, be safe out there, Detroit. We'll see you this weekend. Tab in. Best love life love, ever. Be good to each other, y'all. Love is love. Peace. Peace. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Want to get smarter about investing? Then tune in to the Capital Ideas podcast from Capital Group, home of American Funds Distributors, Inc., one of the world's leading asset managers. 
Each week, we bring you stock market outlooks, macroeconomic updates, and investment strategies that can help you succeed. Learn from portfolio managers with decades of experience about how they navigate uncertain markets. Prepare to be engaged, enlightened, and entertained by listening to the Capital Ideas Podcast today.